It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the 211 Renault and Dacia range. Get your car delivered to you in just a couple of clicks. Call us today to find out more or visit blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. Welcome to Late Lunch this midweek Wednesday afternoon. Great to have you with us on the show. Plenty of chat as usual over the next couple of hours. Don't forget my artist of the week is Petula Clark this week continuing her story and I have a lovely song for you today, I promise. It's the International Day of the Midwife. We'll be marking it in the company of Emer McCormick. Aileen Carvel is with us when technology meets fashion. Fast fashion technology. Interesting woman indeed. She's the founder of Skimp. Heather Burke is with us the art of conversation she's really worried that we're in trouble when it comes to talking to each other we're going to hear more from heather in a little while and we will be returning to that cusk program on rte last night that highlighted the awful time many students had at the de la Salle's in navin if you want to get in touch with us on the show 086 1800 658 whatsapp or text me or 1850 715 958 if you'd like to call in But first, it's all the talk at the minute. Stephen Donnelly, the Minister for Health, bringing forward a minimum unit pricing for alcohol uh, paper to Cabinet, which they expect to uh, develop into, uh, you know, uh, legislation here in Ireland later in the year. Cheap alcohol in supermarkets and off licenses will be a thing of the past. The cheapest bottle of wine today you can get is three ninety nine. That'll become seven seventy five. Uh, a seven hundred ml bottle of gin or vodka today at thirteen euro will be twenty one euro, and the cheapest you'll pay for a can of beer will be one euro thirty two. The question is. Will it make a difference? Will it do what it's supposed to do? Because an awful lot of people in Ireland lose their lives to alcohol each year. I'm joined on the line by Pat, who is a member of Al-Anon. Good afternoon, Pat. Good afternoon, Jerry. Nice to talk to you again on the show. Um, what do you think in a general sense with the thinking behind this and what the government are attempting to do? Uh they're prob- probably trying to, um, you know, make life better for everyone in society. Uh, and I don't think they have um, really seen through what their proposals uh, may bring about. Uh, you know, by they're obviously targeting their um, their legislation towards uh, 
younger people in antisocial behaviour, uh, probably trying to reduce heavy drinking by alcoholics, and also then trying to stop uh, moderate drinkers developing into being dependent on alcohol. Mm. But I don't think they have uh, really um, seen the consequences that what they're doing will bring about for some people. For majority of people in society, it probably will make very little change. Um, you know, if you're in a fairly middle-class uh, home and uh, yeah. drink or what have you, costs 10 or 15 euro a week more, it's not going to really mm. affect people too much. But if you're in a lower socio-economic class, uh, 10 or 15 euro a week can make a huge difference. So you believe that they haven't really thought this through. You, you've seen this from experience. I have indeed for <clears throat> for many, many years. Uh, I've been um, married to an alcoholic. And, uh, and uh, uh, my, my experience would be that, um, you know, alcoholics drink. That's what they do. It's their main focus of the day or the week. Uh, they are very, very edgy uh, and uptight if they don't have uh, the necessary drink or the necessary way of, of getting it. And it becomes a main priority and they will stop at nothing to make sure they have uh, access to the amount of alcohol they, re- they require. Mm. And unfortunately, it's also a progressive disease and... Um, <clears throat> it gets worse and worse and also their tolerance becomes less and less. So to get the same bosun effect, they have to drink more as time goes on. So you're and saying to me, Pat, basically that it's irrelevant. If it goes up 10, 15 euro, which a lot of people will find difficult to find, you know, people, you're, you're right. If you're in a I certain... I absolutely agree with you. I mean, it seems, it seems nothing. But yeah. to a lot of people, it's a lot. Yes, it's a, and I, I, I accept absolutely for 10, 15 euro for an awful lot of people is the difference between going hungry and putting food on the table. And that is the reality over a number of days I'm talking about here. So you've seen the situation where have you have others in your family been impacted by your wife's habit? Would she have taken money away? I'm only trying to uh, uh, develop this a little here from, say, even the food, come back to the food that's put on the table or, you know, the base in the home, heat, lighted, things like that, would would they suffer? They they will suffer. I'm not going to. I'm only going to speak about my own yes. experience. Yes. Uh, um, and I have certainly suffered. My children have suffered um, in many many different ways. Uh, and unfortunately, for people who are in this situation of living with an, act, an active alcoholic, they have to build up defences and mechanisms and ways of being able to. Um, live their lives in a reasonably uh, meaningful way and that then becomes the norm and unfortunately uh, most people they get into that kind of a rut they're trying to control what's going on with the alcoholic they're trying to pretend that everything is okay they're trying to put a good face out to the to the general public and the people that they're interacting with and as a result uh they can't see past it and it carries on and on and on. Mm. And as I say, they, they, that becomes the norm. But if something happens that someone loses a job or 
um, they lose some benefits or something like that. Um, they're not able to cope, and uh, that's when uh, things change for the worst on both sides, from the alcoholic's point of view, but also from their spouse or their, their partner, because the spouse and the partner, as I say, will try and do everything to keep things looking normal as yes. possible. And, yes. and they will start, uh, they will start, uh, you know, sh- shopping for yellow pack and uh, reduced goods and uh, making things last longer and worrying all the time about, you know, where's the next meal going to come from. Seems trivial to a lot of people, but to another cohort of people, it's very, very frustrating and important. Mm. And the alcoholic is looking at it totally different because they're, they're just looking where where's my next drink coming from. Yeah. Uh, and they don't care where it's coming from as long as they, they get it. So they will, as I say, they will start um, trying to control money, their own money and, and, and others. And if it gets bad enough, they will uh, resort to stealing eventually. Um, I've experienced both where, you know, you expect that a bill has been paid or it mightn't be even something as big as a bill. It might be something smaller that, uh, you know, children going on a school trip or something and you have given the money to pay for it and you subsequently find out from the school or you get a, a text saying, you know, John or Mary is going on a school trip next week we haven't been paid. Uh, and that's the way they insidiously uh, start, um, you know, taking control of other people's money as well. Yes, so this uh, is the point we're trying to get across and you want to get across today. In, in the Because this, is, this will be discussed and debated a lot over the coming weeks, as you know. This is an aspect of it that's not being considered, that... It's not just the alcoholic. It's the partners, the husbands, the wives, the children uh, within the, the home will all be impacted when that 10 or 15 euro is needed to buy more alcohol. Across the board, other things really suffer. They, 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 it's inevitable. They just have to suffer because, unfortunately, as I say, the alcoholic is only interested in getting their daily quota of drink. Yeah. Uh, and... They, they know what their quote is, and some of them even, uh, you know, they, they, that's the first thing to do in the morning is to check, have they got their quota? And if they haven't, you will see them, they're edgy. They can't start, stand still. They're trying to figure out a way of getting the the money to, to get that, that drink that they feel they must, they must have. And it doesn't matter what's lined up or what the money has been allocated to, they will use whatever money they need to get that drink because, as I say, they are addicted to the drink and that's yeah. the most important thing to them. And they don't even see, they don't even consider yes. the consequences yes. of that. That might be seem a smallish action enough for them, but the, uh, the reaction from the family and the action, uh, the consequences of their actions can be very, very devastating. Yes, and and this is a real important point to make and why we're talking to you. Thank you, Pat, for uh, just explaining it so well today, the impact it will have. And you're, you, you are so right. It's at the, the lower end of the scale where people are struggling in life in general to make ends meet, to put food on the table, to pay their rent or whatever, uh, to uh, put the heat and light on, etc., where yes. there are tight margins. This is where it's going to hurt most. Pat, can I ask you this? 
It's a big question, and and, and it's a, a one that will perplex great minds. How or or what is the approach to alleviate? You know what you're talking about. There is it not to touch the pricing at all. Um. It's 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 very hard to know. Like I say, uh, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with alcohol, and most of us in, enjoy a drink. Yes. It doesn't affect us, and it's it, it, it's 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 a good thing. But for a certain uh, percentage of the population, it, it has the opposite effect, and unfortunately, they become addicted, and it becomes a major, uh, major, major problem for them. Mm. And I think. Putting up the price, it won't stop the alcohol. Guarantee it won't stop the alcoholic drinking, but it has those unforeseen consequences. Another consequence that I can see coming from it is in the younger age groups, the teens and the early twenties. They have a limited amount of money, and uh, this, if they're not able to get the amount of drink they want, they will start looking at alternatives. And down the road, we could be seeing a different problem emerging mm. with the with the younger uh, cohort. Yes, um, and <clears throat> you know, look, there's health implications if alcoholics are drinking whatever discretionary money might be in the house. Ch- child gets sick, normal thing would be bring it to the doctor. That may be put on the long finger. Um, clothes, school books, stuff like that will all start as to suffer because as I said and I, I don't think people really grasp it the only thing that's important to the alcoholic is where's my next drink coming from and there's a, another um, effect of it that I see now you know during during COVID most alcoholics are drinking at home there you see in the surveys that the uh, sales in uh, supermarkets and off licenses has rocketed during COVID because that's where the alcoholics are getting the drink. They're bringing it home and they're drinking at home. And a kind of a new norm has probably developed in most homes where alcoholics are living. And I can see when when um, pubs do reopen, there's no change in the price in pubs. So if money is tight, those alcoholics that are drinking at home at the moment will go back to the pub which can lead to much more problems because at least if they're at home the the wife or the spouse or the husband they know where they are they they know what they're doing whereas if they start going out to socialise in pubs and stuff again they have a much easier way of of getting drink because they support one another it's another thing that I think Mm. a lot of people don't understand or realise if they're stuck for money or something, someone else will soak them until um, they find themselves in the same situation and then yeah. they can pay it back. Uh, but I, I think that's going to be a big issue once pubs... Once the pubs reopen, open. yeah, yeah. Another another point well made indeed. And of course it is more expensive and there will be more money need to be found and it's a, yeah. a vicious circle. Look, Pat, I'm going to leave it there for today. I wanted you to... Um, Tell us, and uh, from your experience, uh, what this is like and, and the difficulties, the, the knock-ons from this that need consideration as the, this important legislation is coming forward. Pat, I thank you for joining me on the show and I wish you well as always. Yeah, could I just uh, mention uh, 
The Al Anon yes, contact details. Yes, please. Please. yes, yes. The the phone line is uh, a landline is eight seven three two six nine nine. That's our information centre. Yeah. And then there's a website which is alanonireland.org. That's great. Alanon. If anybody, if anyone out there is affected by somebody else's drinking, yes. uh, they're not alone and there is help available to them. Thank you for mentioning that, Pat. I really do appreciate it. And uh, thanks again for joining me on the show. OK, thank you. Take Bye. care of yourself. Bye-bye. Pat there, speaking from experience. Member of Al-Anon, if you're affected by anything we've been speaking about, again, just to repeat the number, 018732699. That's 018732699 or alanonireland.org is the website. Thank you for all your comments uh, about Pat's conversation. Keep them coming to me. 086-1800-658. You can WhatsApp or text me. I'll come back to them, I promise you. Just one that sort of sums up what we've been talking about. Really, Jerry, what the government are saying is that rich people don't have problems with alcohol, says Breda in Navin. Thanks indeed for that. And there's more besides. I will get to them before the end of the show. I promise you. I don't know whether you saw the programme, Cusk. It's a brilliant series on RTE last night, but it focused on the De La Salle's in Navin on the Abbey Road and in particular the role that Dr Paddy Randalls and his wife Mary played in highlighting what was going on there at the school. Now they've been gone uh, since 1976 but there are quite a number of people who have been uh, reacting to the programme who were at the school there and have their own stories. One of them is a very good friend of ours. He's a wonderful man. What a musician, writer, you name it, performer. Jimmy Smith is on the line. Hello again Jimmy. How are you, Jerry? Jimmy, just before we get on to last night, I was talking to Pat, you might have heard it a moment ago there, about the minimum pricing for alcohol, and I know you had your own demons in that area as well. What do you make of this? Will it work? No. I, I think it's just, it's a bit like the Native American chief who said that only a white man would think that you could cut the top of a blanket and sew it to the bottom and make the blanket longer. He was referring to daylight savings. But it's a bit with, the same with politicians dealing with a, a, an endemic problem like alcoholism in Ireland. Think by raising the prices, it's only going to make it more difficult for people that are in trouble. It's not dealing with the issue at all. Yeah, thanks. Uh, that reflects exactly, and you have a, the same point of view as Pat was mentioning a moment ago. It really must be taken into consideration, the point you make there, before there's any law uh, put on the statute books here. Look, let's talk about last night, Cuscan RTE. It was very difficult watching it. I have to say, you went to the De La Salle's. Uh, yeah, I didn't need to watch the programme. I, I was aware of the Paddy Randalls thing. I knew Dr. Randalls. I was in the class. I was literally in that class that were on the cover of the News of the World in 1970 or 69, whenever it was. And that the, the lad who was, who's, who's, if you forgive my French, his arse was on the front of the News of the World with lumps on it after a severe beating by one of the brothers. Uh, he was a friend of mine and a second cousin of mine. So I was literally in that class. Jimmy... <laughs> This just upsets me, to be honest, because I I experienced a little of it, not myself personally, but saw others uh, in in a Christian Brothers context. Not a whole lot, but a little, and was upsetting for me. But when you talk about what happened, was it was it all the time? Was it every day? Were or were there certain boys targeted more than others? It was every day. It was normalised. We all got it. Some were got got more of them. The ones that spoke up. So it was institutionalized uh, uh, abuse so that we were like, uh, we couldn't tell our parents because they made us believe that they told us a story about one of the brothers 
told us a story about a boy who had told his parents about being, being hit by the strap and his father had committed suicide. So we were terrified to tell our parents. And they didn't know. If my father had known what they had done to me, he would have killed somebody. I know that. So that was a terrible fear. So it was, it was endemic everywhere. It was systemic and endemic. There is nobody got off scot-free in, the, in those places. All of those brothers and those lay teachers should be, I mean, they're still alive, should be prosecuted for crimes against humanity. It's that bad. You never hear much about the lay teacher element. Well, it was, you know, again, I was very, very lucky in that I got one lay teacher who was very good to me. Mm. But not after being, not until after a few years of severe abuse. And he was very good. But then some of the other lay teachers, one in particular who everybody will know who I'm talking about, was the headmaster of the school. And uh, we knew him very well. He was he was a sadistic man. And he wasn't one of the brothers. Mm. So it, it, it straddled uh, religious order and other as well. And, and I have to say I could vouch for that myself because I saw some awful uh, lay teachers who perpetuated shocking things on, on, on young boys myself in my own time back then. Um, the leather we'd be familiar with, but it wasn't just the leather. There were aspects of the leather where it could really inflict more damage and they liked to make that happen by doing a little bit of work on the leather itself. Absolutely, they'd put coins in it, they'd lacerate the side of it, fray them intentionally. They'd use canes, rubber hoses, fists, whatever. There was also a low level of sexual abuse all the time. We didn't know. We were nine years old, ten years old. We knew certain of the brothers were what we would call queers, and I know know that's very problematic language. We didn't know what it meant. We knew that they would try to get us on their lap and they would touch us inappropriately all the time. And we we knew to avoid those brothers. We we said they're queers. We mm. didn't know what that meant. We didn't yes. mean it in any pejorative way. Since yes, I've, yes. I've toned my language down, but that's what we used back then. Yeah, yeah. And that was a language of the time that no, you know. And you're right. Today it's not acceptable at all. Uh, no, to, and, and uh, of course it's not. It's totally yes. unacceptable. But yes. we didn't even know what it meant. We were yep. too young to know, I know that because they weren't actually probably homosexual. I don't know what the situation was. Mm. That's how we referred. We knew there was something terribly off with these people. You know. And Jimmy, the the thing is, this was uh, for public viewing. This is uh, to uh, you know, for other boys to be frightened out of their wits to see this meted out to individuals. Well, it was it, it was just that it was. I know several of my friends who I had one or two very close friends who were picked on remorselessly. I was picked on a lot myself because I had ginger hair, which was a, seemed to be a problem too, and. Uh, but not as bad as others. I got off kind of lightly. Although I've had, you know, I, I would say that I've suffered, uh, you know, I'm a recovering alcoholic, as you mentioned. It's 27 years sober now. But I also have had a lifetime of depression and chronic anxiety. That I think goes back to that. People talk about, when I moved to America first, I became aware, oh, my childhood was totally different than anybody else's. They used to talk about anxiety or fear when into school. I would have a knot of fear every single day, all day in my stomach. That was just unbearable. The fear was incredible. And others were, and we had to toughen up, of course. We were told, you know, man up and toughen up, which we did, most of us, but that we're all dealing with PTSD of some sort. Now we know. Psychology has moved on. Mm. We know that we are damaged individuals because of these people. You mentioned something there about your parents, and I would have seen the same. My parents were deeply religious people, and uh, they, uh, you know, if you went home and said something, they'd dismiss it out of hand. They'd say, no, no, that couldn't be. You must have done something wrong. Well, specifically, what you're talking about, Dr. Randalls, and what happened in, in that school, in my school, De La Salle, at that time, 
there, that, he was denounced by the parish priest, Father Farrell at the time, I believe, from the pulpit. You know, they were there was support in the community and from the church for these characters, for yes. these sadists. Yes. So parents, my parents weren't particularly religious. My dad, I know if I'd have told him, he would have just taken somebody's head off. I know that. Mm. And that was another fear. I didn't want that retaliation. Because that would create so much more trouble for, for me and my friends and mm. my family. You know? But my parents were probably, you know, you know that generation it, it tipped the cap and bent the knee to the church. You know, that's the sure, way it was. Sure. You know, sure, that's, that's the, the way, way it was. Well, yeah, uh, you know. that. It's, easy, it's easy to look back now and say, well, why didn't the parents do something? It was, it was a relentlessly endemic problem where everybody was kowtowing to the church and to these guys, these these sadistic brothers, you know. Uh, and an education was, was very still... We were just, you know, in the 60s and the early, early 70s, it was still... Our parents, you know, we were the generation before us hadn't even gotten a, a national education. Mm. So it was, it was a very prized thing. Mm. So it was something you must not screw up, you know. The level of anxiety and pressure on on my generation at the time just to go to these places and then to be abused on top of it and beaten up on a consistent, on a daily basis. It's just an horrendous stain on the history of this nation of ours. Look, I have about a minute left just before you go and you mentioned him, Paddy Randalls and his wife Mary. They were fantastic people. He wasn't our family doctor. We were aware of him. But also, we were also, even at that age, aware that he was demonised a little bit. Mm. You know, by obviously by the church and by the the stalwarts, the the, the bleeding deacons of, of the Navan area, who would be very much in cahoots with the church and this man speaking out against it, and and probably starting the the capitulation of the strength of the of this these orders and the yes. Catholic Church at that point. Mm. He probably he's very he was a very pivotal figure, but of course he got demonised for it. Yeah. Look, Jimmy, uh, it's uh, good of you to join us today in the aftermath of the programme. I wish you well with your challenges every day and you've come a long way since you're, and you're a wonderful man, father and a great fellow. I have to say that for all that happened. Thanks for your contribution to the show today, Jimmy. Thank you very much, Jerry. Thanks for listening. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's uh, Jimmy Smith there, famous uh, musician from Navin and Paddy Randalls and his wife, Mary. They did a fantastic job. And Mary Randalls will be joining us on Late Lunch next week to talk about the programme and uh, we're looking forward uh, to that. Late Lunch, LMFM, after news and weather at two. It's the art of conversation. Louise says that's why it's called May. It may be minus three or it may be 20. <laughs> Maybe that's the reason it got its name the month for sure. Um, hi, Jerry. Uh, my school was just as bad. Stick straps and the beating we got as young girls was so cruel. After 42 years, I still have the scars of one teacher who ripped my earrings out of my ears by lifting me off the ground by my ear for getting a sum wrong on the blackboard. What do you say about that? There's nothing to say. Jerry, we were slapped daily with the leather in uh, the 50s and 60s in Termenfecken, even though mam and dad said the master was a lovely man. You see, that was the thing. You could not speak up 
against authority, which was, you know, the priest, you know, the local solicitor held a very uh, prominent position as well, and others in uh, positions of authority. You couldn't say a word, but especially it came from the church, and you'd be dismissed. I said that to Jimmy earlier on. They, they wouldn't believe you if you said things like this were happening. And sadly for them, that's the way they were reared, and they had to endure worse. Each earlier generation was subjected to shocking horrors. Oh, my word. Um, On the alcohol matter, uh, listeners on to say uh, that I think supermarkets shouldn't be allowed to sell alcohol at all. It should only be sold by off licenses so that it can be so that it can't be sold below cost. When alcohol is so cheap in supermarkets, people are inclined to spend on drink before their food. The government should not have allowed these big chains of shops to be selling drink and all the other stuff they do. Small business suffering as a result, says the listener. That's their opinion there. Uh, another one there it's easier to get a licence to sell alcohol than it is to get a taxi or hackney licence in rural Ireland says another listener every small franchise shop has an off licence Jerry. it's a problem says somebody else that's actually James in RD nice to hear from you today Uh, and more besides there I'll come back again I promise you uh, before the end of the show now WhatsApp Instagram Messenger Text They have something in common, all of them. It doesn't require us to interact face-to-face and it's all built on the smart devices that we use today. Is the art of conversation on the way out because of all this? Heather Burke is founder of Conversation Salons and she's worried and she's going to tell me why. She's with me. Hello, Heather. Hi, Jerry. How's it going? Um, I, I suppose I am worried. That's why I started the, the conversation salons. Um, like, I know we Irish, we do have the gift of the gab, and I think we're naturally friendly and gregarious. But I think just the way things have evolved, we've gotten out of the habit. Like you say, we get stuck on social media, we start communicating that way. Or when we're out and about, we're on our phones instead of chatting the way we used to. Or... I also think just we're all so frantically busy. Now, I know the pandemic has changed things a bit in the short term, mm. but just think back before the pandemic, you're up, people are lashing out to work early, they're coming home late, you never go into a neighbour's house for a chat, you kind of have to, you know, text your friends to book a visit or, you know, to book a call nearly. So um, it's something, and, and just, I think our lives have become a bit more insular, that we're more inclined to, as I say, watch Netflix and drink Aldi beer instead of, yeah, like or the old fashioned ways we socialised after mass, or uh, I don't know, you met people in the in the parish more. We were just more, yeah. We our faces were up more looking to make yes. contact. Do you think? Yes, it's a combination of things. It's a combination of things, really, because uh, technology is one. All those new apps, etc. You're right, uh, but societal changes as well are, are uh, feeding into this. Now, I want to ask you this. You set up conversation salons quite some time ago, uh, back in 2014, and mm-hmm. you wanted to reclaim face-to-face conversation. I was going great guns for you, lots of people attending, all of all ages, mixed backgrounds, etc., and going mighty. You mentioned the pandemic, and of course you couldn't have these get-togethers. What have you done during that time? Well, we were doing some Zoom ones. Yes. It was kind of um, what's our, almost against our principles because I know. it's like everybody's sick of Zoom anyway and they're doing every, they're working on Zoom, they're doing their socialising on Zoom. 
So really, we were just keeping in touch with people through social media. Yes. So um, you had to use it. The point I'm saying is, inevitably, with the situation we found ourselves in, to keep any sort of conversation going, you had to rely on the technology. But I'm sure you're, you and all those involved, you can't wait to get back, can you? Face to face. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what I think? I think people are going to be hungry to connect and yeah. to, to, you know, if we were before, like, you know, they, they chat about the loneliness epidemic or that there's less a sense of community or, mm. you know, a lot of the old gathering places are gone or that. But I just think if we've learned anything from the pandemic, we've learned that one of the most important things in life is sort of human connection or being with other people or hanging out or just having a chat. So if we like, I think there was an appetite for them before because people are so much addicted to their screens. But now I think there'll be a much bigger appetite even. And people will be once we sort of get over the fear of the whole that people are going to infect you, people will be just like, I I do think we can really go big time into this. And that's why I'm sort of saying it's anyone in Drogheda or in Loud or that wants to to help us set them up like with volunteers and yes or me don't forget me there will be we'll have the phones ringing here and the apps and them things going wild here loud and mead anyone listening loud out there today mead. absolutely so we're just you know dying to have volunteers come forward because we're all volunteers but yeah. this anyway and just say look I'll start one in my town or my village or my parish and you just need a few people but obviously there's rules and you know a yes. format for doing it but yeah, yeah. but don't you think Jerry? like it, that's one of the biggest lessons from the pandemic is how important it is to have a sense of community and a sense of connection and to be... Oh you know. my, oh my, don't get me started on this, Heather, because like I talk here every day and I listen a lot as well and I give opinions and I'm lucky I have this connectivity and I'm, I've am i been working away, thank God, uh, these last and 14 months. And you have interesting so. conversations. Yes, I do, but, but let me put my cards on the table here. I am the straw that... I have not been able to socialise with my friends, to meet people in a, a nice setting for a pint or whatever, or go for a meal, or visit as well. It's affected me big time, despite all I tell you there. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you know the way, like, I shall I say, you could say there's a mental health crisis in the world, you could say there's the loneliness epidemic, but I think, what I'm trying to say, it's a very simple solution. Like, we can all talk, we can all, you know, reach out and that. But it's amazing how it doesn't happen, how we've all sort of yeah. pulled away from each other. I, I mean, generally, but now even more because we've been forced to. But, but yeah, sorry, this is what I was going to say, Jerry. What I think is a side benefit of this is if you were having these gatherings more in communities and that then I'll give you a hand. People help each yes. other more. There's a more, yes. this kind of, as I call it, secret social services that if you know the old man opposite you is lonely, then you'll make a point to call in into him. Or if there's a new single mom or an immigrant in the name, the, the more you connect with people, the more you can benefit each other. It's all kind of connections. Yes. Business connections, social connections. Um, you know, where's the best dentist? I'll help you with your garden if you help me with something else. Like, I just think all that, it, there's so much to be said from it. So the starting point might be a conversation salon or some kind of a meetup or a group face-to-face. Yeah. But what comes from that is incredible good that you, we can benefit each other in so many ways and be kinder. And, it, you know, and it, lots of things you can do without money to help people if you're sure. just you know, willing to exchange. And they're all the benefits you've seen uh, over time with with, with your salons as well. All those points you make there. And the other thing to come back to is, 
I think we've all realised now, after this time and this great shock to the world and our lives and our generations of the present, that face-to-face connection is vital to our well-being. Yeah, and like there's all official research to prove that, that if you, you know, in a, we're human animals, it's in our nature to want to socialise. And when, when you don't get or all those longevity studies where old people live to be 100, like in Sardinia or places, that one of the key factors is that people go in and out of their houses all the time visiting them and they go down to the village and they mix and they gather and there's a strong sense of community and they do interact face to face. They're not alone on their Instagram account, you know, in their apartment, not talking yes. to anybody else. Um, yeah, so I, I wish we get more of a sense of that because like, and things, other things too, Jerry, at the salons, like you sort of get to sort of, you get things off your chest you get to chat about your problems, but you also get to chat about your plans and your dreams and your passions. And like people say things like, oh, I don't need a life coach anymore. I've sorted out three issues here that I, you know, I didn't even mm. think I would. So there is a thing about solution seeking and problem solving and also sort of energizing each other. So imagine if you're in the slumps and I'm bored and the other guy's fed up and depressed and we all come into a nice cafe or a town hall or somewhere and suddenly we're going, oh, what did I tell you? And we're all full of ideas and backup for each other and stories. And I'll, I'll tell you about my childhood and you'll tell me about your first job. And just that kind of yes. something electric about the buzz and the energy of good conversation. And you, you know yourself when you've had it because you feel so good. You come in from a boring meeting or a boring night out and you'd be flat as a pancake. But if you, or even it could be just meeting somebody in the spa shop, but if you have that kind of magic of a good exchange, it just makes you feel so good. It really does. Yes, yes. I like this. I really do like the whole concept behind it. And I think there's a real opportunity here now beyond vaccination and the opening up of society again. Can I ask you this while I have you with me? It's just something, uh, yeah. an observation that that I've made on many occasions over the years. And But I think it's getting... Worse, to be honest with you. You know when you're out for a walk on the street, people don't even acknowledge each other now or to say hello. The head goes down. If you're sitting on a train or a bus, generally the earphones are in, you're on the smart device, it's silent. Whereas I can remember a time when people chatted. Yeah, so exactly. So think of all those little habits and they add up to a big problem. So when you, now people even think of the supermarket queue, the spa shop, the bus stop, yeah, uh, all any in the queue for the bank, anywhere you're at, or like you say, on public transport. So the, the now the default habit of most human beings, and it's all generations, is you go down to your phone and mm. start flicking, even say in the doctor's waiting room or the, this kind of thing. Yeah. So all that's lost, like there's that whole interacting with people you know or with strangers We've disappeared that. We've sort of wiped it out in a, in a, in a very short time. Mm. And that's a huge loss. So we kind of have to retrain ourselves back. And you say, if you're the only guy who wants to chat on the bus, they'll go, oh, there's your man. He's a bit odd or something. <laughs> Whereas in actual fact, you should be saying, oh, what a nice, friendly man. Let's have a nice <laughs> chat. No, I don't mean to overburden anybody. You can get the nuisance, as you know what I'm talking about, or, yeah. or, the, or the nosy person or things like that. But in general, you know, a nice little conversation. And, you know, I have to say, I remember a time before all this uh, when there was a lot of talk and people did engage and interact uh, like that. So you'll be back in full flow, you're hoping, sooner rather than later with well, conversation salons. Yeah, so I, I, what's your guess on that? Like, I heard yeah. saying July, but I'd 
September. I don't know. The sooner yeah. the better as far as Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. Look, at if we get the vaccines rolled out and they're talking about going 24 hour now and we get the supplies, well, please God, come, you know, uh, summertime and into autumn, things will well, be re-happening uh, again. I'd, what I'd be encouraging people, Jerry, is like, to have your own little conversation balance in the meantime. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I notice now out on walks or that people are quite friendly. I think the lockdown has made them a bit friendlier. Good. So sort of then, you know, go beyond the chit-chat and the small talk, like start asking them, oh, what are your plans for post-lockdown? Or, you know, start a- asking people things about their lives. Like people, once you encourage them or you initiate stuff. So I would say, like generally in life, we need to be creating spaces where interesting conversations happen, where we, you know, like you're used to drawing people out. But we, you know, we have a few interesting questions ready. So you will draw them out and get into a deeper conversation. And that we're doing it sort of intergenerational and with people you know and people you don't know. And yeah, yeah it's kind of exciting, really. But it's a kind of a life habit you need to develop, like you say break the bad habits of having the head down in the phone or not chatting mm. on the train or that kind of thing. Yes, no, it's uh, so important to us. Uh, talk and good talk and interesting, trivial, serious, you name it, it gets hot, it gets cool. You, ah, uh, look, uh, you can't just beat it. So look, for anybody today, just before we finish, conversationsalons.ie, they'll get information there if they want to talk to you. Yeah, and and then just message us or contact us through that email if, 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 yeah. you'd, like, if you'd like us to set up some in yeah. your lab. Yeah, yeah, oh, That'd be great. I think it's a, a thing that can really take off. I, I liked it from the moment I heard about it and I'm delighted to have you with me today and I've enjoyed our conversation. Okay, great stuff, Jerry. Uh, <laughs> nice to you. talk to you. Take care of yourself, care. Heather. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Heather Burke there. Conversations. It's in the plural. Conversation salons. Conversation salons. Conversation in the singular. Salons in the plural. Conversation salons dot i.e. If you want more information, I think it's a great way of getting people together of different ages and starting to chat and that. Personally, I love Wednesdays with the Wednesday Club and we do all that and more. Oh, it certainly gets hot and heated. Can't wait for it to be back. Late lunch, LMFM Radio. You stay where you are. Jerry, I was left-handed and I got the ruler every day until I learned how to use my right hand. My hand was tied to the chair. I just won't name the school, but I, I have the school name here. I, uh, shocking, isn't it? Left-hander, Kithogues. What were they thinking? Where did that come from? Desperate, isn't it? Jerry, it wasn't just the brother's school who abused children. I went to a different school in Drogheda. And the teacher used to pick me out for slapping because I didn't attend Sunday morning mass. I was one of 11 children and used to have to stay at home to look after my mother as she wasn't well. But I suffered in the classroom as I was taken up in front of the whole class and giving a right slapping on a regular basis. And that just turned your stomach to think of that and what went on in this great state of ours, the Republic of Ireland. Thank you for your comments to the show today. Keep them coming to me. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me. 1850-715-958 if you'd like to call in. I say it again. We often like to think we're, we're great. and We are great in so many ways. And today there have been so many advances and changes. But that history and those stains, and that's just one of many of them, this corporal punishment in the classroom, 
remains with so many who are living today and have kept it within and never spoken about it and have the marks to show today. And this country has a lot of dark, a lot of darkness about it as well. And we must always keep that in mind and ensure that we strive that this would never, ever happen again and that we don't repeat mistakes of the past and that we cherish what the the, uh, proclamations say, all of the children of the nation equally. By God, there were so many who didn't live up to those words. There really, really were. Alan McLaughlin. Now, there's something and a name that brings joy to me and I'm sure to many people. But sadly, Alan passed away. Irish international soccer player, brilliant with Swindon Town and Portsmouth and wonderful in the green of Ireland. His parents were Irish who went to England. They had to go, of course, and he declared for the Republic. He was a real talent. And he's died at the age of 54 suffering from cancer. He had it a few years back and it recurred and sadly he passed away. But we'll never forget him. Will we? Will we ever forget him for that night in Windsor Park on the 17th of November 1993 when this happened? We now left to go about 13 minutes of normal time. Yes, that's plenty of time for us to get back in. And Irwin with the free kick throws across it always far. back to the shot. No! Yes, Alan McLaughlin has found the net. Gabriel Egan there on commentary uh, on that match. And uh, wow, what a moment that was. I still remember it today. Northern Ireland were winning 1-0 at the time. And we needed a point at least from the game to qualify for the World Cup finals in 1994. And McLaughlin scored. And forever he'll be remembered in Irish football history for that goal. Weren't they the great days? Good memories. Good times in Ireland, positive times as well, in a very tense situation in Windsor Park at the time back then, with the troubles really, oh, in full flight uh, north of the border and indeed south of the border by times as well. But we got the goal, the Republic of Ireland, that sent us to the World Cup finals and we remember Alan McLaughlin on late lunch today and that famous night on the 17th of November 1993 in Windsor Park. What a night that was. It was incredible. And uh, forever he'll be with us when it comes to the history of soccer, international soccer in this country. Just see on post are increasing their charges. The cost of postage is going up. One ten for a letter now. It'll cost you and two euro to go to Europe. It was a euro to post here at home. One ten now. One seventy it was uh, out of the country. It's two euro now. So the charges for postage are on the rise. Just saw that announced today. They said they haven't risen the uh, price of the stamp for four years at this stage, but becoming more costly at this time to post a letter. When fashion and technology collide, that's what happened when Aileen Carvel brought her twin skill sets together to form Skimp. And she's on the line to tell me more. Hello, Aileen. Hi, Jerry. How are things? Very good indeed. Thanks for joining me on the show. Will you just, for listeners, explain what Skimp is? And it's skmmp.com. What is Skimp? Um, so Skimp is a virtual showroom. I, previous to setting up Skimp, I worked in luxury wholesale for well-known designers, including John Rocha and uh, emerging designers. So during that time, you know, 
we identified uh, kind of a lot of workflow issues during fashion week. So these are really premi- premium um, trade events that happen you know, twice a year. And basically Skimp was set up to try and uh, kind of work through those workflows, those manual kind of order processing, which isn't just exclusively in fashion. It's in a lot of other businesses. Um, so that the buyers who were buying on behalf of the big department stores and the designer could have a more meaningful business conversation and relationship during that kind of short period of time. Uh, so Skimp ultimately uh, sort of automates a lot of the, the workflow processes. It allows the buyer to go in remotely and view a catalog like an e-commerce and um, either meet with the brand or the wholesale agent virtually uh, by live live chat or Zoom, whatever the case may be, and they navigate through the collection and start putting in the order. And we automate a lot of the, the documents and uh, data analytics around that. So we do a lot of heavy lifting on the platform, but it has to be incredibly intuitive and easy to use. Uh, I take it then that this last 14 months for you, you've really come into your own. Well, you know, COVID has been, you know, a, a terrible, you know, catastrophe, mm. I suppose, for everybody. Um, but for our business, it, it's kind of, you know, really accelerated the growth and the need for what we do. Um, you know, initially, COVID was seen as something that was going to disrupt maybe for about six to eight months. We already had the technology in place. And yes, it literally uh, sort of our visibility as a brand, as as a fast tech startup, just opened up so many doors. We had we have had every significant luxury brand stream through us here in Drumcondra, where I'm based, and my colleagues in Dublin. Um, so it's been really you know a very significant pivotal year for us. Uh, we you know telling people what skimp was before covid was a challenge a lot of resistance and literally as soon as covid and everything shut down that physical interaction um you know it, it was you know very very uh, easy to tell uh, potential customers what the proposition was mm, yes it, it just shows you in every dark hour there generally is a silver line lining for some and it has been for you you're in the right place at the right time to bring this all together i was reading about you you're very interesting you used to spend a lot of time in milan you were out there uh, a lot of the time and of course milan when you mention fashion and that shirt synonymous with it do you think like just in a general sense beyond this time you know and i'm sure they're mad to get going with those big shows you mentioned there a few moments ago Will they be different or will they just pick up where they left off? Well, that's the question on everybody's lips, uh, Jerry. In the industry, that is a big, big thing because, you know, uh, physical interaction, you know, knowledge exchange in any industry is so important. And, you know, Fashion Week, it's a massive billion dollar business. Uh, And so going back to where it was initially when COVID broke, um, there was a suspension of physical and things went online. But as it's lo- lasted longer, now the, the sort of emphasis is to try and kind of blend physical and digital together and get the best bits of physical back in action and bring you know the elements that digital really kind of save a lot of time and you know, maybe make things better for everybody involved to bring them forward to. So it's going to be a real hybrid. Um, it's going to be very different now. 
And I suppose, you know, what happens, catwalk shows, you know, at the end of the day, we support that because people power and people, you know, the, the beauty of a, uh, of a of a fashion show it's only 15 minutes but it takes so much perfection mm. to have that yeah yeah and and it's in person as well and you can see it and 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 get a good look at it as well but look at the combination as you said of both and a new future for it is on the horizon interesting uh, times ahead now your background of course is art and design where it began and then uh, you mentioned John Rosha there. You went back and got into the technology side of things. Did you see this in an instant? You know the way people would say to you, ah, the eureka moment, I copped this, there's a solution needed there. Was it like that or how did it happen that Skimp uh, emerged? Yeah, well, you know, I'd love to say it was a bit like that, cause, um, but it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, when you're in a job that you love and in an industry, you know, you work hard and, you know, I, I loved working with my my colleagues um but i suppose it was a slow process how do you go in and change something like from scratch and using technology so i did go back and i i did a degree in technology because i kind of felt i you know didn't want to be on the back foot all the time i, I like to know what i'm talking about and at least be able to investigate this uh, the best way i can from from my perspective because i was coming from industry to solve an industry problem and that was going the, the the solution was going to be enabled by technology mm. so it was a, a process um that you know you do a lot on yourself you i was in a you know in industry i pulled myself away from industry uh to build this um solution and you know i i absolutely love what i do you know technology it's becoming more prevalent in schools and what I would like to say to any maybe young listener or even somebody who's maybe thinking of pivoting, you you can really blend so much with technology. It doesn't matter what industry you've come from. If you still have that passion for that industry, you know, there, there are opportunities there to blend it in with, with technology. And I suppose that's the, the great thing that, uh, you know, this new digital age will, will present to people. Mm, and there are great supports for STEM or in your case, with the arts added in STEAM initiatives as well. We know that there are many, many supports there and people to help. And uh, it's just a matter of uh, checking them out and asking and, and getting involved with you. You've got great support, I know, in your time as well. Is this a win, 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 win? I'm talking about four things here. For the designer, the buyers, uh, the department stores or shops that may stock this, and ultimately the consumer. Yes, so you know, from you know a supply chain point of view, because it's a supply chain solution. Mm. Uh, yes, it kind of speeds up the process. It makes buying decisions for the retailer much better and more sustainable. There isn't uh, an over. Uh, sort of manufacturing of unneeded um, products that maybe have to to kind of be made to hit minimum orders. Um, so in terms of a sustainable point of view, you know, it does it really adds a huge amount of value to the to the supply chain. And yes, it, you know, you've got data analytics. As soon as you kind of submit the order, you can see exactly where you stand. You can start planning uh, shipping. You can potentially consolidate shipping you know there are so many benefits not just from a financial gain but also um from a sustainable point of view is that word now central in the thinking of a lot of people in the business that you're you're a mover and shaker there yourself now sustainability 
it's really important um, and it isn't a word that should be used lightly. I think everybody should look, you know, uh, from our point of view, we look at sustainability in terms of, um, you know, people, uh, you know, resources, you know, that we're not wasting time. Um, you know, that you have to be very conscious of that. But also fashion is a huge polluter. Um, so it's about time that fashion has started to really put that word center, you know, of, mm. of its ambitions going forward. Yeah, it's good to hear. The name has fascinated us here. It's the one question I was told. Make sure you ask her. S-K-M-M-P, Skimp. What, what is it? Where did it come from? Well, it is actually a very popular question. Um, Liz, I'd love to be able to give you a great answer. and uh, But it's just a combination of letters that... I wanted, I needed a .com, something that would be easy to remember, uh, something that was generic that didn't kind of tie into anything in particular because we work with big brands, so mm. we can't have a name, so to speak, so it had to be something that was kind of uh, nondescript. So, yes, that's that was it. No skimping with skimp, that's for sure, because uh, that's the ethos of the business. And look, it's good to talk to you. I spotted you a couple of weeks back and you were an interesting woman. And like what you've achieved here now is something special and unique. And it's here in Ireland, working with all the greats across the big fashion houses and shows uh, in Europe and beyond. I hope they're back because people love the shows. I'm sure you'd uh, love to be back at them yourself. We, yes, we do. We, we've got a lot of clients in Paris and we have an office over there, a kind of residency in Station F in Paris. So we're looking forward to getting back over and, and meeting people. Um, but look, at you know, Dublin is a great um, HQ to have. Um, it's a very respected country for its technology and people. So, it does, you know, we're dialing in from Dublin and, you know, that, that's uh, always uh, a nice, somebody has a lovely thing to say about uh, Ireland or being a one to, to visit. But, um, you know, it's a global business and, you know, what's so nice is that peop- it's not just focused on Paris and Milan and London, that you've got... Uh, people like ourselves creating solutions from lots of different places now so um yeah. Well done to so, yeah. you. You've done really well and I wish you well with your team uh, for the future and we look back to uh, look forward to uh, fashion being back big time, please God, later this year and beyond. Thank you for joining me Aileen on the show today. Jerry, thank you so much. Nice to talk to you. Take care now. Bye-bye. That's Aileen Carvel there from SKMMP Skimp. Uh, she's sawny, spotted an opportunity there and in she goes and she's doing really, really well and even during the last 14 months when it's been challenging uh, business going from strength to strength. Late Lunch, LMFM Radio. will be back in a moment with more of your comments. We were talking to Heather Burke a little while ago about conversation and the art of conversation. Put a listener in mind of other things uh, to say that people don't make time for simple things in life, like conversation. Think about it, Jerry. Automatic washing machines, hoovers, dishwashers and so many other gadgets that makes everyday tasks for people so easy, yet they still don't make time uh, for each other. Examples, family, friends, neighbours, children and playtime. You know, simple things like picnics. What about those, Jerry? instead of takeaways? This time of the year, we would have been out picking primroses, bluebells and the yellow mayflowers for the May altar and enjoy the simple treat 
after the flowers were gathered. Thanks indeed for that lovely message. Thought-provoking indeed. Uh, I have a message in from Fiona to say, Oh my God, Jerry, God love those people and their stories of cruelty. My heart breaks, and you can hear it in your voice, that you're disturbed as we all are. It's shocking, Jerry. The reason I'm disturbed, folks, is that I went to the Christian Brothers, and I have to tell you that they gave me a good education. But, you know, I know what Jimmy Smith is talking about and um, more of those messages that have come to me today. I saw it for myself. I saw young lads beaten, beaten really cruelly. And by a Christian brother or two. But funny enough, and I mentioned it earlier on, there are three lay teachers and I have their names written down here in front of me. And I don't think I'll read them out. They're all dead, but they do have families still living. And I'm going to do them the service of not reading out. Even the first names, people would know who I'm talking about. But I saw a teacher one day lifting a lad by his locks and tearing the locks off him. Think about that. By the locks, bang, up and tearing that locks and him screaming. I saw the leather used on many occasions. I had a, got the leather myself on the hand, I tell you, at times. I saw timber used. Timber in a woodwork room by a Christian brother on a lad. Raw timber into the flesh. I witnessed those things happening. And yet I still got a good education and the majority of teachers and brothers were decent people. I say that. But there were psychopaths in there. With the collar and without the collar. And I can remember those days as I sit here talking to you today. And it does upset me when I, it it sort of brought it back to me in the last hour or so about it, to think of those times that I probably pushed to the back of my mind as well and that kept me cowed down in school and afraid and fearful of being called up and maybe getting something wrong. And that was, you know, beaten into you, even though you mightn't have been beaten that much yourself, but through what you saw happening to to others and examples being made. And it was shocking. And that's within living memory. That's in the 70s. Like, you know, and that, people might think that's ancient at this stage, but it's well within living memory. And I can put myself in my little shoes and shorts back in that desk today as I sit here and think about it. And it ain't nice. It ain't nice. But thank God I was able to move along by dodging and hiding probably and avoiding and keeping the head down and things like that. And it probably did affect me in ways and travel through life. But thank God with time and that and education and broadening my horizons and meeting other people and travelling outside my immediate area and getting breaks in life. I am where I am today. But sadly, there are an awful lot of people who hadn't the luck or fortune I had. And I understand that. And I feel for them. I really feel for them today. By God, that programme last night and talking to Jimmy earlier on and seeing your comments has really brought it back to me big time today. I have to say that. I have to say that. It really has. Anyway, it's good to talk. They say it's good to talk about it and let it out a bit as well. And things that probably you never speak about in your life. But the lads I went to school with would know what I'm talking about. They would. They'd know what I'm talking about. We can never, ever go back to those times. And we've got to listen to the stories of people and empathise with them and help them and support them on their way at this time. 
because it was absolutely real here in this little country of ours, like so many other things that just would make you despair at times. And yet I say to you, I still love this country. I love where I came from. I love my life. I love everything about it and I'll always do my best for it. And I'm very hopeful for the future and I have great faith in the emerging Ireland of today. We're still a young country, only what, a hundred years since all that trouble happened, a little over now, 1916, 1921. And of course, we're going to make mistakes and huge mistakes, but I'm confident for Ireland. It's a great place and it's still one of the loveliest places and safest places to live in the world. Always remember that. I say that in conclusion today. Late lunch, LMFM Radio, Petula Clark coming away, my artist of the week, celebrating World Midwives Day, but on the way to news, weather and sport at three. I love it. It's stuck in the middle. Steelers wheel and the late, great Jerry Rafferty. Big thank you to Liz O'Hagan. She's listening in Straffin this afternoon for the lovely message, Liz. Thank you. I really do appreciate your kind words. And uh, talking about kindness and niceness, uh, etc. Let's uh, move on to my artist of the week. And could there be anyone nicer than Petula Clark? Yes, Downtown, which I played yesterday, was the first of 15 consecutive top 40 hits in the United States for Petula from its release in 64. She was in big demand on the US TV networks where she hosted a number of TV specials, in fact causing real controversy in one of them when she took hold of Harry Belafonte's arm. A racially sensitive matter at that time. However, she rode out the storm and continued to flourish, touring extensively in the States and making her mark on the big screen, which met with major parts in uh, hit musicals like Finian's Rainbow and Goodbye Mr. Chips. What a lovely movie that is. As the swinging 60s came to an end, Clark almost became too friendly with Elvis Presley, was instrumental in launching the uh, career of the Carpenters and befriended John Lennon. Indeed, she sang backing vocals on Lennon's Give Peace a Chance. Today, I'm staying in the 60s for my song uh, from Petula Clark. It's one of those consecutive top 40 hits I mentioned a little earlier. 1966, written by Tony Hatch and Jackie Trent, and I want to dedicate it to Mary and Brian Dunn in RD, their wedding anniversary today. Petula Clark, my artist of the week this week, and I couldn't live without your love. Great song, really tremendous, timeless. Uh, it was our first number one in the US Easy Listening charts, and the song, written by Tony Hatch and Jackie Trent, as I mentioned, was inspired by their illicit love affair, and they wrote that song. Interesting, isn't it? Anyway, more about Petula on Late Lunch tomorrow and another cracker of a song from her. The messages just keep coming about school. Another one there about a teacher in Drogheda as well who meted out the corporal punishment to young lads in primary school. Uh, but the uh, message coming from Kevin today says he got his own back on the teacher years later when he was taxi driving and the uh, teacher concerned flagged him down. He'd just got off a bus at the depot. It was pouring with rain. Kevin waved at him and drove on. I'd say there was a little satisfaction in that, but the tenant of the message, the beatings and the 
cane and the leather and everything. Ah, oh, just time to uh, to move on and really uh, try and. Uh, you know, leave it in the past, but never forget it. Talk about it, as I said, and uh, it's part of a history of this nation that is not nice. Late lunch, LMFM radio. Let me tell you, a lady in Mali, or from Mali in Africa, she was in a neighbouring country yesterday, gave birth to non-uplets. Nine babies she gave birth to yesterday. Five girls and four boys and they're all doing well. Nice lead in to my next guest who'll be with us in a moment because today is the International Day of the Midwife. She was busy yesterday for sure. Today is the International Day of the Midwife and the theme is Follow the Data, Invest in Midwives. And I'm joined on the line by somebody who's making history. Yes, she's the first candidate to be an advanced midwife practitioner at the maternity unit in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda. I'm delighted to say hello to Emer McCormick. Hello, Emer. Hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm really good. Well, this is the big day for midwives in Ireland and around the world. Explain to me, what is an advanced midwife practitioner? Oh, well, advanced midwife practitioners, um, they've been around in Ireland for about 10 years, but there's only about 12 in Ireland at this stage. So um, an advanced midwife practitioner, um, they are um, leaders, advanced clinical leadership role they have autonomy over um, a certain cohort of women. So I suppose where my role is going is where I'm developing the role into um, supervision of, um, of our midwives in our midfield unit um, and where I'll have um, autonomous responsible practice over a certain cohort of women which are going to be, um, we're identifying those at the minute. So they'd be women maybe who've had one previous cesarean section um, and women that are maybe a little bit more vulnerable that just need the continuity of carers so where they see the same person, same midwife mm. the whole way through their care. Okay, so uh, you have uh, a lot of responsibility ahead of you in terms of your team <laughs> and the women that you're going to be looking after. And congratulations, there are only a few in the country and you will join those ranks shortly. I was just mentioning before you came on there that lady in Mali yesterday who delivered nine babies, five girls and four <laughs> boys. My, oh my, what a story that is. What's the most, you know, you're a midwife a number of years now. I take it triplets. Would that have been the most or did you see four? Or, you know, I've actually seen five. Have you? A long time ago, yeah. In my training um, in the coom, I would have seen a lady who had five. Yeah, and who all, all babies did very well. So, you know, they're kind of big moments that you just never forget in your career. Um, you know, because they're they're really quite unique. Yeah. So they are, and uh, you know, but all women are brilliant. One mm. baby, ten babies, it doesn't matter. All women are fantastic, and I suppose that's the big celebration today in International Day of the Midwife is where we promote um, our our pride in the role as well, like because it's a real privileged place to be um, at at the birth of a woman and helping them through their journey through pregnancy. Mm. Um, you know, so they're all very special events. It doesn't matter how many they've had. Yes, know. and you mentioned like that those five uh, did well and thrived. That's a big message today that, you know, if a baby, a single baby, or there's two or more, whatever, are born small, the the achievement of life is magnificent, isn't it? The, the way they, from a, a very early delivery, they can do really well in life. They can, they can. And, you know, I suppose that's due to 
advances in in healthcare um, over the, all, all the years, and that's you know research that has been done, and you know all of those things. Um, the clinical care that's provided is uh, is in, in Ireland is next to none, and it's definitely right up there with. The, on the leaderboard um, internationally, so it is, you know, and that's down to the whole team that provide care, right from, you know, our midwives to the obstetricians to our neonatal teams to all of the other healthcare professionals, our physios, you know, our social workers. We, we the whole team that is involved in the care of women through pregnancy. Yeah. So the midwife is being celebrated today. I take it that it is being celebrated in the hospitals, uh, in uh, the hospital there today. Sure, don't you know, Jerry? We always have to have cake when we're celebrating then the maternity <laughs> unit. So there's plenty of cake going on for all of the midwives. And uh, we, we do uh, certainly every year, the team this year being that, um, you know, midwives um, provide high quality services and that. But this year, I suppose, more so than ever, as you said earlier, you know, midwives, we've been kind of at the fore with our women because they didn't have their partners present and that. So midwives meaning to be with women. So this year we went along the team of um, showcasing our midwives um, with the faces behind the masks, you know, was yeah. the team that we picked in, in Drogheda this year where um, around the maternity unit there's photos displayed of us in our work life and our out of work life. So mm. with masks on and unmasked. So there's some very glamorous looking photographs <laughs> going around and others were with people with horses and with their families and, right. uh, you know, to show that there's, there's yes. another side to it. And then, as you know, we always do our midwife of the year as well, um, where we give an award out to a midwife um, that her colleagues, that we as their colleagues have nominated uh, to a midwife that we believe has gone above and beyond what is expected within their role. Um, and this year, I'm delighted to be able to tell you, it's only just been announced, so hot off the press. We have joint winners. Um, Anya McCardle, who is our bereavement and loss midwife, is one of our winners. And Gráinne Sarsfield, who is one of our clinical midwifery managers on the Labour Ward. So they've just been announced winners. So congrats to them. So it's great news for them. You know, it's 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 real pride, mm. uh, the real pride place to be to for your colleagues to nominate you for something like that. So um, yeah. yeah. So well there are done celebrations to today. Yes, yes, it's great. I, I know you're fantastic. And normally when it's open shop there, we're invited down and we can experience it for ourselves. Quite different this year. But again, I want to join in your congratulations there to Anya McArdle and Gráinne Sarsfield, who uh, win the award jointly this year. It's been a trying year. You know, I don't have to tell you about, you know, dad's not going in, mum's yeah. being alone. Your role as midwives has become really central. You're at the heart. You always wear but even more so this year. Yeah, you know, like it is very difficult for, for mothers. We appreciate that. Um, you know, they have been coming in to have scans on their own and they have been coming in in early labour on their own. I think, you know, we have done our utmost to try and get partners in as early as we possibly can and get them in um, as soon as we diagnose that women are in labour um, to try and keep everybody safe within the environment. Um, but yeah, so it does mean, you know, like, well, once a woman comes in in labour, they will have a midwife with them all of the time. So um, that support, yeah, has, I suppose, I, I think, you know, and women, certainly the feedback they give to us is that that support is very important to them and um, they do very, very well, you know, when they get the support of the midwife. Um, and it has been trying times for everybody, um, certainly, and this pandemic it hasn't been easy for anybody but hopefully we're delighted coming at the end of the tunnel with the vaccinations and definitely 
everything is lifting um, a little bit, you know, within the maternity unit. Dads are back in at their scans and they're in, we have, they're able to come in for visiting for a short period of time during the day and def- and always, they always have been in in labour. So, mm. you know, it, it's good for starting to, to get out the other Yeah, side. and that's great to hear. It's real positive news. I take it before we finish up that, you know, there was, there had to be a, a nervousness, greater challenges. You've never experienced anything like this before. You didn't train to be a nurse and midwife uh, for a pandemic to be landed in your lap. A time like no other. Absolutely, yeah. Like there was massive changes needs to be done. I suppose I was working in a role where I was doing skills facilitation when it hit first off, Jerry. And you know, it was like the changes that we had to bring about, and you know, trying to educate staff really quickly. And then we went through the whole phase, if you remember back, where you know there was the whole discussions around masks, whether they would be beneficial or whether they wouldn't, and you know. Um, all of lots of different things that just had to be put into place. But, you know, we were, I think we were very lucky. We have great leadership in the maternity unit from our midwifery leadership, from our director of midwifery down to all of our managers and down to our obstetricians. And, and I think everybody really took it on the chin and embraced it and, you know, took on the change and moved with the challenges really, really well. Ah, yes. And well done to everybody in the health service and on the front line and especially the midwives today because it is their day and they're celebrating at the hospital. And I didn't want to say it. You said it. They love their cake down there. They do. They do. They do. Anyway. We're all on walking challenges at the minute, Jerry. We have a big walking challenge going on in the maternity unit. Right. About 70, 80 of us are walking for darkness into light. Ah, lovely. All pitched against each other. So, you know, just walk the cake So there you are. You can have as much cake. As you want, you can indeed. Anyway, to all the girls and boys who are midwives across Ireland and the world today, happy International Midwives Day. Keep doing what you're doing, a great job there in Our Lady of Lourdes uh, Hospital, the Maternity Unit, MLU, etc. And congratulations again to Anya McArdle and Grania Sarsfield, who've been named as the winners this year. And to you, Emma McCormack, good luck with your future studies and your new role. Thanks very much, Jerry. Thank Take you for care. joining Bye. me on the show. Bye-bye. That's Eamon McCormick there from the maternity unit in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda, bringing us to a conclusion of late lunch this Wednesday afternoon. Now, tomorrow on the show, Joanne O'Dwyer from the Red Door Project is joining me on the programme. Oh, she was with me before a couple of years ago. What a story she has. But she's talking uh, tomorrow to us about cannabis and the real worry with young people again uh, that's uh, emerging at this time. Ray O'Hanlon will be with us. He's written a fascinating book about the illegal Irish in the USA. We're going to hear about the New Life Baptist Church. And we'll be heading to Carlingford as well tomorrow afternoon on the show. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with The Drive. Have a lovely Wednesday evening, but do come back tomorrow, Thursday, and join us for another Late Lunch. See you then. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. Attention all van drivers. We have the biggest range of light commercials in the Northeast. Our van specialist, Danny at Blackstone Motors, will find a commercial vehicle to suit your requirements. We offer same-day business finance. Call Danny or visit blackstonemotors.ie for more information. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 